Good morning. Hey, welcome. Hey, this morning we are, uh, we're going to talk about a topic that's sort of near and dear to my heart, but I thought I would start by telling you about a little place called Sardinia. This is Sardinia. Not bad, huh? What do you think? It's, it's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It is currently a part of Italy. Uh, it's an island, though, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. In Sardinia, there is a place called the Blue Zone. And the Blue Zone, in the Blue Zone, people live a long time. Like a really long time. Like a fount- like fountain of youth long time. Not bad. Looks like a good place, don't you think? Yeah. Um, so, I... Susan Pinker is her name. She's a social scientist who works for the Wall Street Journal. She did a TED Talk that I saw about this in 2017. And here's the story with them. In her research, she found that the people who live on the island of Sardinia, they have 10 times as many centenarians. That's people who've lived 100 years or more. They have 10 times more than North America. Ten times more people have lived to 100 years old than North America. Now, she obviously wondered, well, what's that about? Well, it wasn't the olive oil. It's not the sunny climate. It's not the gluten-free diet or, or even the personality types. She found that the reason these people live longer, it is the quality of close personal relationships and face-to-face interactions. See, the way the island is laid out, it's the housing density and the way that the streets and alleys, they're very narrow streets and alleys, the way it's laid out is that every single day, people see familiar faces. They run into family. They run into friends. They run into the people they interact with all day, the barkeeper, the, the grocer, the everybody in between. They see them every single day. And she concluded her TED Talk by saying this. Building in-person interaction into our cities, into our workplaces, and into our agendas sends feel-good hormones surging through the bloodstream and brain and actually helps us to live longer. I call this building your village, and building it and sustaining it is a matter of life or death. It's good for your health, it turns out, to be rich in communal relations with others. So who wants to move to Sardinia with me? Yeah? It looks nice anyway, no matter what. Some of you are like, I don't want to live to 100. Not for me, right? Uh, I got it. My goal today is to talk to you about community. And really, unashamedly, my, my purpose today is to get you to realize that deep and meaningful relationships are not optional in your faith journey. Let me say that again. Deep and meaningful relationships are not optional in your faith journey. And I'm unashamedly going to try and convince you to join, host, or lead a community group, to get into a community group. Now, we are jumping into this 40-day made-for-this-journey. The 40-day made-for-this-journey, and and I want to tell you ahead of time that what you were made for, your mission in life, the you were made for this thing that God uniquely equipped you and prepared you to do, you can't do it alone. You are not supposed to do it alone. Jesus didn't do it alone. And in our world, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but in our North American, post-COVID, pre-monkeypox, work from home, high-tech, social media-driven, high-screen time world is longing for real community. We are longing for this real community. Uh, 
does anybody know, do you know why Starbucks is so successful? Does anybody know why? How many people are Starbucks people here? Raise your hand. There you go. All right, good. I just want to know who's paying five bucks for coffee. Okay, good. Um, Do you know why Starbucks is so successful? Starbucks exploded by not just giving people a good cup of coffee, but they gave them this comfortable, sophisticated environment in which people could relax. And when you walk into Starbucks, you feel better about yourself being in Starbucks, right? And so there's more value than just coffee. They deliver a sense of like sophistication and enthusiasm. And one of the most important things that they built into Starbucks is this place for people to meet in which they could experience an affiliation and a belonging. How many people know this? When your coffee is ready at Starbucks, do they call out a number? What do they do? They call out your name. You know what they do? They write your name on a cup of coffee and they call out your name. And did you know, this is a little side note. I think if you give whatever name you give, I think they have to write it on your cup. Do you know that? You can come up with whatever you want to. Try this the next time you're at Starbucks. Tell them your name is Spartacus. S-P-A-R-T-I-C-U-S. And then when they call it out, go, I am Spartacus. Right? Or Bueller. 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 Coffee for Bueller, right? My favorite one that I saw was Primrose, uh, Primrose uh, Aberdeen, right? And then when they call out your coffee, go, I volunteer tribute. <laughs> sorry, Hunger Games. You got to know Hunger Games. I'm sorry. Um, and for the love of God, do we have enough milks at Starbucks? Does anybody notice this? How many milks do we need at Starbucks? If you order a coffee with milk, they'll say, what kind of milk would you like with that? We have coconut milk. We have... Uh, we have almond nut milk, we have hazelnut milk, we have uh, cashew nut milk, we have uh, rice milk, we have oat milk, we have soy milk, we have, how many milks do we need? By the way, how do you milk a cashew? (laughs) How does that even work? I don't even understand. But the point is they write your name on the cup and they give you this comfortable space to, uh, to be in with other people. And they take pride in knowing the orders of their regulars. Do you know this? Starbucks baristas take pride in knowing the orders of their regulars. And sometimes they start those orders knowing that they're going to come in at exactly 6.48 or whatever time they come in in the morning. And so when they walk in the door, sometimes it's like, hey, Bob, here's your mocha choca latte with a squirt of caramel syrup and light whip and cashew milk. We're almost done. They're milking the cashews in the back right now, Bob. You know, they are trying to create a place where you feel like you belong. And Starbucks changed America. They took a product that people paid 50 cents for and they created a place where you would pay $5 for it. And it's all about a sense of belonging, community in that place. It seems like we are always searching for a place where we belong, a comfortable place to belong. So this morning we are going to look at the one another's of scripture The one another's. Um, That phrase, one another, in Greek, it's alalon, and it means one another, or each other, or mutually, or reciprocally. And here's the deal. In the New Testament, a hundred different times, over a hundred times, that term is used in the New Testament. Over and over again, we're reminded that this faith journey that we're on involves other people. It involves us all. And, and we see this modeled in, 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 well, we see this model first in God himself. 
in some strange mystical way that I don't even pretend to be able to unpack, God is existent in community in himself. He is existent in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Somehow he has community within himself, this perfect community. But then we see it continues, right? God creates Adam. And what's the first thing he says after he creates Adam and he's done with all of creation? He says it's, it's not good for man to be alone, right? He, and over and over and over again in Scripture we see this, right? Moses has Aaron to hold up his arms. King David has, has his brother from another mother, Jonathan, who, who walks alongside of him and rescues him and, and, and uh, takes care of him. Uh, Ruth finds faith and meets God because of this relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi, right? And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go through these trials and these temptations in Babylon, but they do it together. And we see it best in Jesus himself because Jesus, in his master plan to save humanity, this obscure carpenter's son comes to earth and he recruits a bunch of fishermen and a, and a, and a tax collector and, and, and these other like people that have no business changing the world. And from this tiny little obscure place in the Roman Empire, they literally turned Western civilization on their head and they did it together in this community of believers that the disciples did. So I want to highlight this morning the one another's of Scripture, and we're going to take a look at a bunch of them, and I'm going to blaze through some of them, but I want you to see how this comes out again and again in Scripture. Here's the first one. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. Romans 12.5 says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of what? One body. One body. And we all, what do we do? We belong to each other. We belong to each other. We see descriptions of the church as Christ's body, as, as a family, right? Uh, and we belong to each other. In a body and a family, you belong to each other. Whether you like it or not, you belong to each other. Yeah, that guy's got my last name. He belongs to me. Uh, so we belong to each other. Um, in fact, the word, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and that word means the called out ones. It's plural, it means we are called out, we're a called out assembly. We are a called out group. We are called out of the world, but we are called out together and we belong to one another. So, what does that look like? What does it look like to belong to one another? Well, we're supposed to greet one another. In Romans 16 16, it says, Greet each other with a what? Holy kiss, sacred kiss, all the churches of Christ send you their greetings. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person on the other side of you now. Anybody feeling nervous yet? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Some of the single people are so excited right now. Um, Listen, don't get worded out by the word kiss, right? The kiss on the cheek is like a greeting that's more common in other cultures than in ours, right? Amen? Not ours, right? Don't worry, all you people who are worried right now. Let's focus on the term greet each other. You greet each other. Think about it. How you are greeted in any situation matters. When you walk into work, think about how people greet you. When you come home after a long day and you walk into your home, how many people remember when your kids were little and dad would walk into the house and they would go, Daddy, and they would run to you. Anybody remember that? How many remember when they were high schoolers and you'd walk in and they'd be like, whatever, you know, 
How you're greeted actually matters. I mean, it, it totally matters. If you walk into a room and nobody greets you, you are immediately isolated. You feel like an out, right? Um, if you walk into a room and maybe you get a head nod or two, hey, hey, or, or a weak wave, you know what I'm talking about by a weak wave? You, you, you feel, I, and then maybe one person, one person comes over and says, hey, Steve, how you doing? What do you think in that moment? You immediately think, oh, thank God, so-and-so's here. At least I know somebody, right? Have you ever had that moment? It, it's true. But when you walk into a room and the room explodes and everyone says your name, everybody say Steve on three. One, two, three. Steve. Yes. You ever have people when you walk into a room and they walk through the room and they're pushing people out of the way to get to you and they're high-fiving you and they're handshaking you and fist-bumping you and all that stuff? You immediately go, oh yeah, this is my place. These are my people. Like, I belong here. How we greet one another actually matters to one another. And I read this week this interesting thing about the idea of the holy kiss is that you were, what the idea of the holy kiss, to be greeted with a holy kiss, meant you were accepted fully. You were fully accepted in that moment, right? Um, a holy kiss is when they took this greeting of a kiss, which for us it's maybe a handshake, a high five, a, a fist bump or whatever, and they made it holy. They turned it into something sacred, right? Uh, for, they turned it into something for God. We greet each other with God's purposes in our hearts. So every greeting is a sacred expression of the full acceptance that you belong here in the body of Christ. My prayer is that the warmest greeting you get all week is when you walk into the lobby of that church. That that the handshakes that you get and the the hugs and the high fives are something that really honestly you think, oh yes, this is my place, these are my people. I pray that you get that in your Sunday school classrooms. I pray that you get that in, in our youth meetings or even in the kids' building. When you watch two little kids run up to each other and, and, and embrace each other, you think that's the kind of greeting we want for each other, right? And yes, even in a community group, when you walk into somebody's living room, I want those to be some of the most meaningful greetings you get all, all week. How we greet each other is holy. So let me ask you a question. Who haven't you greeted yet today? Stand up. Greet somebody around you. You don't even have to know them to greet them like this. Stand. What people? Stand up. Good Lord. Move around. Greet somebody. Make sure that they're a hugger before you hug them. Handshake. High five. You belong here. Make sure you get to everybody. Come on, man. Don't leave me hanging. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Good. How are you, bud? Nice to see you. Hey, Laurie. Hi. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I, see, I get that at Panera from you. We greet one another. That's what we do. That's one of the one another's. Now, it should go without saying that if we greet someone as fully accepted, you better actually accept him. So we accept one another. This is an important point for me. We accept one another. In Romans 15, 7, it says this. 
Therefore, what are we supposed to do? Accept each other. Just as Christ has what? Just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Get this. Jesus accepted you before you had it all together. Am I right? Just not, if you know what I'm talking about. Jesus accepted you before you had it all together. You were a mess before Jesus accepted you. I was a mess when Jesus accepted I'm still a mess, people. Uh, people don't have to have it all together to be accepted. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm messed up. Look back at that person and say, oh, I know. I know. But then say, me too, me too. Now say to him, I like you though, you're all right. Go ahead, give him a holy kiss. No, I'm kidding, don't do that, don't do that. Um, Listen, we're all at different places on this faith journey. We are all in different places on this journey of faith. But we're on this journey of faith together. Romans 14.1 says it this way. Accept other believers who are what? They're, they're those who are weak in the faith, right? And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. We can accept someone who's even weak in faith. Now listen, I want to make sure we... That doesn't mean we don't call out sin. That doesn't mean that we don't, uh, when somebody shares something that's hard and, and it's not that we justify it for them and say, well, that's okay, you know. We don't do that. We, we, we cling to truth. We cling to biblical truth. When somebody shares their struggle, we say, oh, that's, that's not good. Like, like we gotta, you got to do something about that. Um, but we accept the person. We accept them. And no matter where you are in your faith journey, we, we accept you. And the reason we accept you is because Christ accepted me when I was broken and busted and messed up. Right? Uh, Christ accepted me and forgave me before I deserved it. Romans 5.8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I was still messed up. And yet he sent his son to die for me. I still don't deserve it. But I'm accepted by Christ. So we accept each other. And I want to make sure that we are fully accepted. But, but guess what? I'm still a work in progress and so are you. And so in these community groups where we are trying to live this out, I want to make sure that you get this one point. Don't try to fix people. Don't try to fix people. Boy, I've been wrestling with this idea all week. Um, I don't want to be a project for anyone. Do you? I don't want to be a project. There's some people in my life that have a role as a mentor or, or my parents or, or they're in a certain role and I've given them that role. But I don't want to be a project for everybody. I just want to be me. When somebody starts sharing an area of their life where it's a weakness or a, or a defect or a, or a fault or a problem or a sin or a temptation, just listen. You don't have to fix them. I'm going to let you in on a life-changing truth. You can't fix them. Do you know that? You can't fix somebody else. I'm coming to this uh, wild understanding of this with my wife after 27 years. I can't fix you. She's like, I can't fix you either, and you got a lot more to work on than I do. That's what she says to me. I, I, I can't fix you. Only There's so much healing and comfort in just listening to someone. Listen, I'll focus on me, okay? I'll focus on me and my changes, the changes that I need in my life. I'm not focusing on changing you. You focus on changing you, I'll focus on changing me, but we don't have to do it alone, we can do it together. 
We can do it together. Listen to Romans 14, 13. It says this. So let's stop what? Let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to what? Stumble and fall. All right, I got to kick it into gear here a little bit or else we're not getting through all this. Ready? Here we go. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be what? Too proud to enjoy the company of who? Ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Can I get an amen out of everyone? Nobody wants to be in a place where people are bickering and fighting. Nobody wants to be in a place where there are cliques and people that are included and excluded. Nobody wants to be, we all called that high school, am I right? You know what I'm talking about? Nobody wants that. We, you're not better than anyone else. Newsflash, you're not better than anyone else. Get over yourself. We enjoy harmony with one another. Different voices blended together to make one beautiful sound. We live in harmony. Here's another thing. Share one another's burdens. Share one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way we what? We're obeying the law of Christ when we share one another's burdens. Can I tell you something? There is a breakthrough moment in every community group. And it's the moment that somebody actually breaks. It's the moment that somebody gets real and shares their pain or their sin. And they just decide in that moment, I'm not going to play the game anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just paint this happy face on. I'm not going to just tell you everything's okay. When you ask, I'm not just going to say fine anymore. They, they don't want to play the game anymore. They don't want to hide it. They don't want to give the safe and the right answer anymore. And they get real and they share their pain or they share their sin. And in that moment when somebody breaks and does that, most of the time they don't even have any idea how the group is going to respond. They're doing it, but they're just tired of hiding or faking it. And so they'll share their pain or their sin. I, I call this uh, a, the New York moment. And the reason I call it the New York moment is because it's rooted in a very real experience in a community group that I was involved in. A buddy of mine uh, was being sued. He was in a lawsuit. He was being sued. And uh, it, he was being sued for an astonishing amount of money, if that makes sense to you. He was being sued for so much money. And he was going to lose his business. He was going to lose everything he had worked for. And he was on vacation in New York City when this was going down, and he got a piece of information while in New York that said, man, this lawsuit is taking a turn. It's going against you, and it's going against you hard. And he was distraught, and he was overwhelmed, and uh, he, he lost it. Anybody been there? You know what I'm talking about? You just lose it. He lost it. He was, he was in New York, and he thought about his life insurance and he thought to himself, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. This is a successful guy. Successful guy, beautiful wife, two beautiful kids. Like, good, good guy. But he lost it. His wife couldn't console him. And so he called back home to Elk Grove. And he got one of the guys from our community group on the phone. And this guy listened and he talked with him for hours on the phone. And they went through it together. 
And he was there for him at that moment when, for whatever reason, God had opened the door for him to be there for him. He ended up coming back to Elk Grove. And that next week in our community group, rather than the normal community group where we just shared pleasantries and got right to the Bible study, instead he opened up and he told his story. And he poured it out. I mean, crying. And we all sat there in that awkward silence, if you know what I'm talking about. And we cried, and he cried. And it was a holy moment. See, here's the interesting thing. That is the most significant moment you will ever have in a community group. Heck, in any kind of community. How your group, how that group reacts in that moment will either unlock deep and real relationships or it will guarantee that you stay superficial. There will be, it will be awkward. There will be silence. There will be somebody who blurts out something thinking they're funny and they're not at that moment. You know what I'm saying? And, and there will be tears. But in that moment... When you're going through it with someone and they're finally revealing their hurt, I want to give you this one thing for your groups. Do not minimize other people's pain. Don't minimize somebody else's pain. The worst thing that can happen in that moment is that somebody in the group goes, you know what, I went through something just like that. In fact, mine was way worse. Let me tell you about it. Bam, you killed it, you destroyed it. There will be no breakthrough in that moment, right? Don't minimize their pain. Just listen. Just sit with them. Just enter into their pain. In the book of Job, I don't know if you know the story of Job, but Job loses everything. And his friends, before they turn idiots for the rest of the book, they just show up and they sit in the dust with him. They tear their clothes. They pour dust on their, sh- on their heads and they just sit with him. Don't minimize somebody else's pain. And it unlocked our group for years to come. When marriages were struggling, we all knew about it. When kids were messed up and heading off the rails, we all knew about it. And it was so much easier when my daughter started cutting herself to share it with that group because I knew they had my back and I had theirs. And then when you have that and it's been unlocked, you start naturally doing some things for each other. I, I, I got to keep going. I got to go faster now. Build up one another. We build up one another. First Thessalonians 5, 11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I don't have to fix you to build you up. I can encourage you and I can build you up without trying to fix you. I can help you to take the next steps in your healing without feeling like it's my responsibility or I need to usher you into that, right? I can be your biggest fan and your biggest cheerleader and it's so natural to do so when you believe that you belong to each other. We serve each other. Serve one another. We serve one another. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to what? Serve one another in love. Serve one another. Let let me tell you this. This is who you call when you need to move. You know what I'm talking about? 
The people that you call when you need to move. When you need to unload a truck, you call them naturally. When you need to move a hide-a-bed. How many people know your true friends are the friends that will help you move a hide-a-bed up a flight of stairs? How many people know that? It's brutal. It's unbelievable. Pivot, 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 right? Uh, Those are the people. We naturally serve each other when we're in those kinds of relationships. When you belong to one another, you naturally serve each other. There's that moment when you need help. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're at home and you think, I can't do this by myself. There's no way I can do this by myself. And you need to ask for help. And these are the people that naturally come into your mind. I'll call them. True community is made up of those people. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well to what? Serve, Serve one another. All right, I got to keep going. I got to kick it into gear. Ready? Here we go. You're starting to see the pattern. Are you starting to see the pattern, people? Anybody seeing the pattern? The one another's pattern? Good. Here we go. Care for one another. Care for one another. First Corinthians 12, 25 says, This makes for harmony among the members. There's harmony again. So that all the members, what do we do? Care for each other. We care for each other. When people are sick, we bring meals. When a kid needs to be picked up or dropped off for school, we take care of it. We fire up the minivan and get there. These are the people that are looking out for you and you are looking out for them. When you haven't heard from these people in a while, you call. What's up, man? Where you been? What's going on? Are you all right? Those are the people that we take care of or, or you just show up in their lives, right? What's up? Where you been? We care for each other. We pray for one another. Pray for one another. This, is a, this verse, James 5, 16, is one that has always stuck with me. It says, confess your sins to who? Each other and pray for who? Each other so that you may be what? Isn't that an interesting verse? We confess our sins and we pray to God for forgiveness. But if you want healing, who do you pray and confess to? Each other. That's when healing starts to come in. You start, when you stop hiding the junk in your life, when you stop hiding the crises in your life and you expose it to people who will truly care for you, that's when you start to feel that healing coming. God uses other people to heal us and, and to make us whole again. And then last, I, this is obvious, love one another. We love one another. We see this over and over again in Scripture. John 13 34 through 34, 5. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. What are we supposed to do? Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love who? Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. At least 16 times we see this in Scripture. It is one of the core things that Jesus teaches. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how they'll know you're Christians, is that you love one another. Are you getting the point yet? You getting it? Do I need to do more? Because there's a hundred of them. I can keep going. That leads me to? So what? So what, Steve? What is, it, what is it going to take to get you to engage in a community group, to find this kind of biblical uh, faith community that you need? Because some of you right now are tuning me out. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact with him. Like, you're thinking, I don't want to do this. It's the elephant in the room. I read this, uh, I've been reading this book about community groups, and I, I just wanted to read this one passage here because I think it nails, uh, nails it on the head. It says this, 
I just, she paused for a moment, I don't want to be in another boring group. She being Leslie, you'll meet her in a few pages, but let's face it though, a lot of us have been there, right? We may not have said it out loud, but we felt it. Too many small groups sadly come, come up short. They're well, kind of lame. You go and exchange small talk with people you've been meeting for months but still barely know. They ask you about information they memorized from the week before saying, hey, you said last week you had a big meeting. How'd that go? You reply, oh, it went well. Thanks for asking. Then after an awkward silence, you make an excuse to go get some more chips and dip. By the way, there's nothing wrong with chips and dip, people. What comes next is even more draining. You go through some kind of scripture or curriculum and everyone gives the right answers. If someone does share something real, no one's really sure what to do. You might want to move closer or offer some comfort, but we're not close enough for that yet, are we? You end with prayer requests that feel sterile and safe and you all thank whoever brought the snacks. On your drive home, you find yourself wondering if your time would have been better spent taking care of a few errands or just getting dinner with some friends who actually know you. That voice in your head is loud. I mean, what is even the point of this? I thought I'd finally make some good friends and grow more in my faith. Instead, I just feel lonelier and like I'm checking a spiritual box. Nothing's changing. What's wrong? It's boring the life out of you. That's what's wrong. It's the kind of group people dread going to. It's the kind of group a leader dreads leading. It doesn't have to be this way. In fact, it shouldn't be this way. There are groups out there that are real, deep, challenging, and a blast to be a part of. Where people are their authentic, unfiltered selves. Where they laugh a lot and are the first to show up when someone's in crisis where they are willing to challenge each other because they know and love each other, and where their relationships lead to genuine life change. You can be a part of that kind of group. You can lead that kind of group. This book will show you how. Listen, I had a group like that for almost a decade, and it's like lightning in a bottle. I don't know how else to explain it. When it happens, it's like lightning in a bottle, and you don't want to let it go. For a decade of my life up in Elk Grove, I was involved in this group that started with the New York moment and went deeper and more real every single week that we met together. And this week, as I've been thinking about community groups and preparing this message, and I was thinking specifically about these people that I consider family, that I consider a part of my body, that belong to me and I belong to them. Can I tell you a secret? I talked to every single family from that group this last week. Not because I called them, they called me. Or called my wife. Or, or we had an interaction, one of the guys I still meet with every single week, but... I met with every single one of them out of the blue. And when the phone lights up with that name or number, you immediately go, oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like we need those relationships and they are still present in my life. I've lived in Lodi for three years. I don't go to church with any of these people anymore. We desperately need that. Can I tell you, we have an epidemic of loneliness going on right now and we desperately need those relationships in our lives. It was the pattern of the New Testament church. Listen to what it says in Acts 2.42 and the message. I love the message sometimes. It says they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles and what? The life together. The common meals and the prayers. 
I love that term, the life together, right? It's, it's become kind of a Christian buzzword where, where they say, oh, we're doing life together. I, I get that, but these are the people you naturally call or text. These are, and usually you do it with lots of emojis and memes. You know what I'm talking about? Those people. You, you, you naturally text them and when you have a free night, you want to go to dinner with them. When you, stop, you ever stop by somebody's house and, and you're just dropping something off and you look down and you're like, we've been here for three hours. Those are the people that I'm talking about. Those are the kind of relationships that I'm talking about. And when you get bad news or you do actually have a crisis, they are the first ones to show up. Here is the point of the entire message today. Ready? If you are trying to live the Christian life on your own, you are doing it wrong. A hundred one another's say so. If you are trying to live this Christian life on your own, you are doing it wrong. If you think you can just grab your life application Bible and a concordance and a commentary and retreat to a cabin in the woods and live out your mission in life, you're doing it wrong. The early church did it this way. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says, it continues that passage, they followed a what? Daily, Daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals where? At home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praise God. And people in general, those regular people out there in the community, they liked what they saw. And every day their numbers grew as God added to those who were being saved. Listen, the next three weeks are what we call on-ramp Sundays for community groups. And I would love to get you in a community group. If you've never tried a community group, I would love for you to try one. If you've been in a community group and you've been off for the summer, I get it. It's time to get back together. It's time to get in that. But the only way that can ever happen, the only way those groups can go anywhere, the only way I'm not beating my head against a wall in the next few weeks is if people will step up and step out in faith and lead a group like that. Because get this, every group of one another's needs a leader. Every group of one another needs a leader. And I know what you're thinking, Steve, I don't have any time. I don't want to clean my house for once a week. I don't want to. I get it. I'm not going to tell you that this is easy. It's not easy. It's messy and it's hard. But when you have that breakthrough and when you have those kind of relationships in your life, it's like anything worth doing. It's difficult and it is totally worth it. I want you to just, if, if God is calling, would you just bow your heads wherever you're at right now? Because right now God is pricking the heart of somebody that knows they need to be in community. You know you are lonely. You know you are separated. You know you don't have those kind of relationships in your life, or at least not enough of them. If that's you right now, and God is calling to you to, to get into a group, but some of you, and my prayer all week has been, and my prayer right now, God, is that you are going to prick the heart of some people that need to step up and lead a group like that. They need to walk into the mess. They need to walk into the pain of other people. That need to make a difference in their lives, God. Father, I pray that you would use us to create these groups that people might live in biblical community. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts that we might experience that biblical community Right here in Lodi. I know it's going to take some breakthroughs. I know it's going to take leaders. But God, let us embrace the community, the one another's that you have called us to. In your son Jesus' name, amen.